Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today I'm joined by Phil Anderson, Director at The Forum. Thank you Phil for joining me today, how are you doing? Yeah, really good, thank you Mark. Yeah, really looking forward to this one. First time of doing something like this, so yeah, looking forward to it. It's be, it's great to have you on. I know Chris has been on a, a few times, but I'm I'm hoping for a, just a different level from you. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I suggest that's a higher level. So that's good. Yeah, no, I'm sure I can do that. <laughs> and let's let's start with um and we're gonna delve into a bit about you. Um and because I'm sure loads of people have have seen you and talk and heard you talk and it's obvious you you absolutely know what you're talking about but um i'm really interested in your backstory and we'll get to that but before that something we talked about um before recording was you know what what understanding the why and we do it as as leaders but um why why should people listen to this do you think yeah, no, I think I think it's, it's a, it sounds sometimes so obvious as a starting point, doesn't it? What's the purpose? Why? But too often we're all in such a busy motion, we just go through the motions. We don't often think so. Yeah, I thought actually let's let's think about this properly. Let's spend a little bit of time for once to be talking about myself and just do a, a little bit of a background story from uh, how, how I got into the world of starting on the phones, which I'm sure everyone can relate to. And um, then I think a really important part of learning that we play down is about validation. So I want to just get that across that actually listening, you might go, do you know what? I'm doing some of them things and they're working. So that means I'm probably on, I'm on the right tracks. Because again, if you don't know when you can't validate your starting point, how do you know how to improve? And then, yeah, the last thing I'm always, again, conscious of, especially where anything we do with a four is about taking away at least one thing, because if you can just be that little bit better every day, do you know what, this time tomorrow will be better, this time next year, look how much better I can be, as opposed to thinking I'm too busy to do anything today. And then before you know it, it's a week gone by, it's a month gone by, it's six months since you go in, do you know what, I've not validated what I know. And actually, I don't think I've actually learned anything new. So yeah, those three things I, I will hopefully cover off in the time we have available. I love it. I love it. Just that um, the concept of progression, I think, is is so important. So I'm really looking forward to it. But you you kind of teased us there, and that and that phrase that a lot of us know um, started on the phones. So let let's take us let's take us back. When did you start on the phones? So so yeah, it was June June the twentieth, nineteen ninety nine, to be to be precise. Wow, exact. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I do always remember it quite quite clearly. It it, it actually. Yeah, it was one of those things. I always thought I don't think I'll end up being there, which again is probably quite a lot of people that happened. But again, I, I just I just finished at university, which I didn't enjoy. Didn't enjoy my time at university. I felt like it, I felt quite disconnected to the learning. Mm. And again, I'll probably touch on that later on. I felt there was a big gap between what the lecturers were saying, what I was then doing. I felt bored. I wasn't energized by it. I didn't feel particularly supported. But at the same time, I didn't put anything extra into it. I just sort of allowed the learning to come to me, and it didn't really happen. Whereas my previous sort of couple of years at college, absolutely loved. I had two years there of being sort of so well supported and really encouraged. And they sort of gave you this belief that you can do whatever you wanted. That that really took me into that. So I was in a point of going, look, university, I'm not going to finish this. I didn't, didn't enjoy it. End, end of year two, I just thought, Let, let's get out at this point. And I found a job at a relatively local contact centre working in travel. I've done like a, a, a travel and leisure degree. And so I thought that might be the obvious step in. So, yeah, it was a company called Gold Medal Travel. who were an independent sort of travel agent. They were very much growing at the time, 1999. This is 
pre-September 11th. So this is a huge sort of growth period for that people booking those types of holidays. So yeah, it was quite an entry really into that world of working in contact centres. And again, just to put into perspective, we were, we were sort of upstairs in this quite small sort of um, 19, typical 1990s built office whereby the first job you had to do was put the air conditioning unit out of the window each day and then shut the window. Um, it was about six months after smoking had been banned in the office. So you could <laughs> yeah. still see these like circles of grey on the on the, on the polystyrene. And you were still seeing some people who needed sort of three or four cigarette breaks a day or even a morning just to get through the sort of day. Um, so it wasn't a proper contact centre background, so which again is that classic thing of people going, it wasn't a call centre, even though I was sat there with a headset on taking calls all day. You know, it was the denial of what it was. It was an office. We were, we were highly specialist doing um, do, doing sort of travel. But it, it was quite um, yeah, it was a hell of a learning curve, really, because, yes, we were supportive. But at the same time, we were quite thrown in. So you had to sort of learn resilience. You know what I mean? There was you, you had to learn to just get on with it. You had to learn the harshness of there was a basic wage. And you had to earn more money by selling, so it was down to you. So you, you know, you took, you have to take responsibility to to, to get better, essentially, because um, yeah, that was it. Was sort of, it wasn't brutal. It was a lovely environment, hence why there's still people who, who I. Uh, I'm in touch with now who are still working for the for the organization because you know there's there's lots of good things about it. But yeah, that, that was my sort of entry into the world back in back in the day. It's very it's very similar to mine actually. I can remember that selling stationery was mine and we ours was similar. We had like a very a minimal salary and the only way you could make a a, a decent wage um was and I think it was something like 1090 sort of split was was sales and you had some basic how do you use a phone and the green screen computer system here's our catalog here's what's going to happen off you go and to have days upon days upon days especially at the start of no sales and just thinking i have no idea how i'm gonna how i'm gonna crack this this puzzle and that, when you talked to something you said, really resonated with me. I can remember being at college, and it was a small group. It was the, um, there was more motor vehicle studies going on than um, A level, so we were a small group, and you felt really close to your teachers, mm. and they would engage you in these small group conversations. And I remember going same thing, going to uni, in big lecture halls. And just thinking, I have no clue what's going on here. I don't, and I don't feel engaged. So that's a that's a really, really kind of um, key point you make there. What? How long were you, did you stay there then at the travel um, contacts? Yeah, there? eleven years. So that was. So I've only had two jobs essentially, but it, I mean, it's the, the world has changed in that time. But yeah, there was yeah eleven years at gold medal, then joined the forum in first December two two thousand and ten. So yeah, during that time, I did uh, four years on the phones working in different different departments so uh, i always quite like more specialist things so whereas i started off selling essentially round, round the world you know mm. european sort of uh, flights tailor-made holidays then went into a uh, business class department which was interesting looking at sort of even selling sort of concord things like that and then went into the groups department which again was really good so again this was 
I can when I look back now, I can really see how this helped me because it gave me the empowerment. There was only me in the department. So everything was down to then there was two of us sort of thing. And we sort of grew that department to about a team of eight, which then got me into being a team leader for the first time. And then went into being a, a trainer as well because I started training people to, to come in because I think people had identified that I'd, the way I looked at things, if you can speed up processes. So in other words, if you know where all the countries are, then you know your three-letter airport codes and then know your airlines. You know, you've got half the conversation, you can start to sort of really take over a conversation um, and, and sound like you know what you're doing, which then in turn gives you the belief and confidence then to sort of uh, you know work, work on other things. And yeah, I sort of really enjoyed that time. So the first four years were all of those things. And then even though I was enjoying it and, and I'd got myself that sort of team leader position, I was very conscious that what was the next step? I think at that time in my life as well, I was thinking I probably want to start getting a house and things like that. I thought, you know, I need to probably make this more of a career. And I didn't at that point in time feel like the team leader or operational manager was quite the, the career I wanted. And then also an opportunity came up in an organization that was growing all the time as a, as a business analyst. It couldn't have been a more vague, ambiguous sort of job title, but within an, a relatively newly formed resource planning team. So got the job. About three months later, the job changed. It became more of a medium term forecaster and scheduler. Then it became sort of resource planning. And then this little team of four became one. Because, so there's only me there. So all of a sudden I was on my own doing resource planning for about sort of six months or so. And then so that was the sort of the, the starting point of this sort of high interest in terms of particular resource planning. And I, and I love that because it does point to the options that you have available in our industry. So it doesn't always have to be team leader, contact center manager up through the ops chain, does it? Mm. It can be, I've developed skills here now. Now I'm going to pivot really to something, like you say, very different. But all of that previous knowledge and experience must have helped you when you come to what running a whole, running all of the resource planning on your own. Definitely. I think, I think part of that was, again, thinking back, I knew people. So therefore, I had a, I had not only a, a, a name, a face to the name, I also knew them. I knew the personality. I knew their interest. I know which which ones had like season tickets or based in the northwest. We had quite a few people with Blackpool season ticket holders. We had quite a few Preston season ticket holders. So we used to create schedules. Therefore, they'd work opposite each other. So you could always watch the home games. And it's little things like that that you yeah. you sort of play down at the time. But you look back now and go, actually, that was quite a good idea, really, in terms of you're picking up on something local around how we can help people. And it focuses on what matters most to them. Again, you'd get to know people in terms of them coming over to and you know which ones have, have childcare issues so you those subtle tweaks you could do on shifts for people that again would just make such such a difference so again I think very early on I was aware of the people behind the numbers which I think was a you know a re really important for resource planning I was also aware of again how numbers told you one part of a story but then actually there's the reality behind this so yes I can do a forecast based on trends but actually, there's so many variables, especially in travel, that could mean even if certain departments had quite a sort of static profile, if a volcano went off like 2010, mm -hmm. you know, it, it can just change everything. Or like September 11th, when it, when it happened, you know, how it just changed booking profiles. And so there was a, an understanding that the forecast was just the guide to help you understand how to get the right people in the right place. And it was, it was around other key decisions about, say, recruitments, upskilling and things like that, that were probably more important than some of the resource planning fundamentals, so to speak. I think the, the thing you were saying at the start then, that's employee engagement right mm -hmm. there. Because 
imagine I imagine those guys and girls would be so much more engaged when they know that you've made allowances that's a work-life balance you know that is really oh you're going to be able to use your season ticket holder but you're going to be on uh, the following weekend mm. yeah no problem sign me up yeah I think it was hugely important it's difficult because you end up with a queue of people next to your desk all the time <laughs> however it was really important I must admit, when when I started to develop the, the resource planning team towards my end of my tenure there, we put the planning team right in the middle of the contact center next to the head of operations so that we could A, hear everything she was saying, so just go, please don't do that, or likewise she could hear from <laughs> us. I, I say that joking, we worked really well together, that was one of the things. But also we sat in the middle, we then put the induction bays either side of us, so when people first came in, we could hear what they were saying, we could start to get to know them, start to put that sort of face to the, uh, the face to the name, and then you know, we always allowed people to come over to us at, at our desk, even when we were busy, we'd always have that time when people could come over, interrupt us and, and ask ask a question which I thought was hugely valuable and that sort of open door literally because we're sat in the middle of the combat center I think played really well with engagement I mean we definitely didn't get it right all the time but we we, we did our best there's was, was often a reason behind that and again in many respects we had often had battles with the ops managers because they'd say why we let them go home today and it's just like well you know do you know what it's not the end of the world if they're coming home today because we're not that that quiet and out of that, slowly started to create an understanding of that power of one and, and what service levels are all about. Yes, there might be two calls queuing now, but it's the beginning of the day. Of course there is. Don't worry about that. Think, worry about at 11.30 when it's the busiest time of the day. That's when we've got everybody there. And it was those sorts of things that I think sometimes you need those battles to, to, to sort of draw out understanding to help people understand the reason why you're doing it. Those interactions, every single one, it... It must have been something that, um, especially if you're new into a role, that's really out your comfort zone when you've got somebody saying, I, I need to do this. And you've got so much going through your head. That kind of, well, I, you know, human nature is I kind of want to say yes, or just maybe even if so, you can just go away. Um, those countless interactions, that's, would you say that's learning in, in progress right there? Very much so. I think, again, it gives you a learning of an individual, which I think is nice, because especially nowadays, the, the future really of, of, of planning future contact centres and people is about personalisation, really understanding individuals so that we can tailor their learning, tailor how we develop those people, give them the autonomy to be able to do that, but also help them to grow as a person and individual. And absolutely, it was a huge amount of learning for us because again, if we came to a shift review, we'd have that understanding of, yes, on paper, we can do X, but the reality of it is we, we can't. I think it would help with conversations with HR. Um, you know, again, they could be very sort of either policy driven or very sort of, oh, we're on the side of the person, when we would then be able to give that context of, okay, well, from a business point of view, this is what we need to do from a budget point of view, this is all we've got. So if we do this, then this is what will happen. So trying to sort of bring that conversation earlier than it happening on the day, sort of saying, if we make those decisions now in six months time, we're going to have these types of problems. And then when those problems happen, at least people then aren't going, you didn't tell, tell us this would happen. We're saying, well, you know that that, that 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 can happen it's very 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 possible so um yeah i think it is it's a huge part of learning it also helps you realize that often many things are temporary so you know someone comes over to you with the biggest problem in the world 
And you don't want to make a permanent change because actually in three months time that could change again. So being adaptable. So yeah, we can look after you for now because this is not treating everything as a one-off, but treating things with the understanding of this has probably got an expiry date on it. You know, so it's going to happen now until that point. Keep the conversation going and we can keep looking after you. You know, don't come over to us, tell us something, and then in six years' time go, Oh, it's not, I've not had that problem for years now. It's like, well, you've not told us, you know, he's trying to keep that dialogue going. And the classic one on that one is your is the two turn time hours, isn't it? Someone says, I need to I can only work, you know, turn time hours now. And then when the child's 18 working alongside them, they still want to work turn time because guess what? The, the life is now built around that, yeah. isn't it? You, you won't want to change. And so he's keeping that dialogue going, which is, is re really important. And at that point in your career, had you, um, were you aware of the form? Had you started doing stuff with them or? So the interesting, the interesting story on that one, as I say, I'd, 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 I'd start, I'd done about three years, I think it was in, in resource planning at, at, at gold medal, not having any development as such other than just all pure on the job again mm. back in the day we were using qmax so one of those early sort of workforce management so i'd had some work on some days with them and then i actually handed my notice in and it was at that point the business thought do you know what it's going to be quite hard to replace someone so he said to me we'll give you the manager's job give you a pay rise and we'll put you on a training course and i was like that's brilliant that's exactly what i was looking for and it was at the time a two-year course with the, with the professional planning forum as, as it was then. So that was the starting point. So that was late 2006 when, when that happened. And then, yeah, that started the journey really, whereby at the time it was monthly tutorials uh, or some monthly mentoring type sessions. And you'd do some training courses and you'd write uh, you'd write documents up on this as well. So, yeah, that was what I was wanting. The reason why I wanted that is because I felt I was doing some good things, but I didn't know. <laughs> What I didn't know, I, I didn't know this was the right thing. I kept, I kept thinking, surely there's a better way. That was my sort of motivation. You, you know, we, there must be something better than Excel out there for forecasting. There must be something better than just looking at week on week or looking like regression analysis. There must be something out there. And as I started speaking to other people, so going to like forum events, you started going, that's a good idea. And sometimes they were a bit out there, some of these ideas, and you'd take it, you'd come back, and then you'd, you'd have a go yourself. And then, yeah, out of that just grew new ideas. Say some work, some didn't but I was also very good at working out that's not work because of you know trying to understand the reason why sometimes you come up with a new idea and it might not land straight away but it might be because of the timing or it could just be actually how you've articulated this you know I remember the first time I introduced the uh, the planning wheel the sort of shrinkage cycle and it and people just went I can't believe this you know we've got to improve occupancy it's like no that's not what I'm trying to say on this one what I'm saying is we're not doing enough communication time not doing enough one-to-ones and the bigger problem is people aren't logged on enough that's the problem it's not about occupancy so I realized very quickly that you can give people too much information slow it down <laughs> yes. do it drip by bit by bit and then give them the, the, the sort of overall improvement so yeah it was, it was, so it's 2006 2007 is when it when it started and then it, that was like a two-year sort of learning journey, which was um, really good for confidence, really, really good for building up skills. And at that point, I, I will admit, I wasn't the best networker in the world, but I slowly started just to get different contacts. And then the other thing I noticed at that time was how we, we, we were using a system for doing um, uh, web analytics at the time. And, and they always wanted people to speak. They said, oh, could speak. I thought, do you know what? Let's let's give that a go. I just thought, what's the worst that could happen sort of thing? And so I started putting myself out there to do these little sort of presentation opportunities. And I must admit, I didn't necessarily enjoy it, 
but I, I could see afterwards what I'd improved on. And, and it was quite interesting how all of a sudden this one presentation I ended up doing three or four times in like a, a, a it was like a, a user group. Then I did it at Call Center Expo and then did it at the another expo. And that again just gave me the confidence. So I just thought of, of, of you know of practicing sort of pre presenting. I think those kind of um that, that kind of journey makes you when you're on the spot and you're you're nervous and you go back you go back to um i was going to say where you're comfortable but not comfortable in a non-learning kind of way but you're comfortable in your knowledge and you go i'm exposed here i'm out of my comfort zone i'm just gonna i'm gonna talk about what i know and put it out there and be ready for whatever that feedback looks like and then as you say if you kind of progressively go you know what i i kind of did the end i I'm, i need to improve the end and the next time mm. i'm going to i'm going to do it better i think once you've started that on that path it becomes addictive doesn't it to kind of go of to seek out that, that those moments where you're challenging yourself definitely i think it's one of those things i've always noticed that if you give something a go and then do it again you're slightly better and so you start thinking well, i wonder where this could go then and then if I can see someone else doing something, I always think, well, I must be able to give that a go. I'll never sort of, you know, there's a few things, obviously. I don't think Cirque du Soleil is quite my sort of thing, <laughs> but I recognise that now. But again, but back in the day, I probably would have given it a go sort of thing. But I quite wouldn't mind giving Ninja Warrior a go. You know what I mean? It's that sort of thing. But yeah, if I see someone else presenting, I keep thinking, I quite like what they've done. I think I'd have done that like this. And then I think to myself, well, let's give that a go then if they can do it. And then you start recognising about actually the more practice you do, especially if it's purposeful practice, you can improve so we know you know the expression practice makes um sort of per perfect it's more practice makes permanence isn't it because the more you practice if you're not making subtle tweaks you'll just become really good at being at a bang average whereas if you can just keep adding little bits to it and, and again the other side i think i've mentioned is not being afraid to make a mistake i think that's what i recognized very early on with some of the presentations being quite nervous about it and then you realize afterwards people come up to you and say i couldn't do that and so straight away you go okay well that's good you know they can't even do something so I've, at least i the one giving it a go and then often they'll say i like this this and this and then you some find out as well that actually people sometimes relate to you because you're a little bit nervous and you're not perfect because do you know they're thinking actually that's really good that's like me i think i could do that so again i don't practice being average but you know i keep trying to make the improvements but i don't you sort of think i don't want to be too slick about it i don't want to practice to the point that there's this sort of perfect monologue being put because then it doesn't feel genuine does it people feel yeah. like oh that's been so well rehearsed actually you i can't relate to that anymore so yeah i think practice is is, is something that is so important whether it's the ten thousand hours rule that's been sort of mentioned and you know and even on that one i think the original quote was many hours of purposeful practice will lead, lead, lead to perfection and ten thousand hours has been sort of used it's probably many hours and this again i'll come back to one thing that i'll probably talk about later is about if we can build into each day just doing something that works toward many goals you will find that actually on a daily basis we're doing say 15 minutes or 30 minutes of practice which yeah you might not see for a long time but by the end of the year you go I'm actually a lot better than I was at the start of the year. So that's what I'm improving on. That's what I'm working towards. So the greater clarity we have on those things we want to improve on, and then the better we are at just putting these pockets of times together to keep improving those things. It also helps you with the awareness of, of learning, which again, I'll, I'll talk about that sort of 
some people don't realize that when sometimes they're watching TV, we're learning because you're just watching the news and you see you see someone present for the first time and you go, I quite like how they just did that then. Or I quite yeah. liked how they answered that tricky question. Or currently, if you're watching politics, I really wouldn't answer that question, how they've just <laughs> answered it. But you're seeing that sort of learning. And again, looking back to you, remember the COVID updates and, you know, we had, um, you know, Wilkes, Chris Wilkes coming out and, and Boris Johnson and they'd put a graph up and you're thinking they shouldn't be using that. But instead of being critical, I'm thinking, well, what would I have done? And I remember going back, me and Ian were practicing doing new graphs and stuff like that and thinking, should we send this to them to help them do better <laughs> data visualization? But you realize every everything you're watching, you're learning, you know, even film sort of thing, you sort of take things from that, whether it be the motivation to, to keep working, keep trying, keep improving, you know, especially watching things like Rocky or something like that. It just means that you're taking something up from that and thinking, I'll apply that to, to, to what I'm doing to, today. I think it's brilliant. And that kind of um, the concept of taking something wherever you can uh, and, the and the importance of that to learning. I, I mean, it lends itself then to the question, how, how do you learn? Um, and we were talking the other day and you said you had some fascinating, fascinating insights on actually what is learning. And you've just touched some of that then. But for you then, how to learn is important isn't it and and i guess at the forum i always think of the forum as a center of learning you've got learning at your at very heart of what you do it's all the way through it that kind of defines you guys as a as an organization but when you say how to learn what do you mean yeah, no, good, good question. I'm still not 100% sure of the answer myself, but what, what, I've, what I've learned and what, what the form really, really promote is that doing something different every day. It's realising that learning is, is a range of things. It's not just this information. That's one part of, sort of one tiny part of a jigsaw. It's not even an edge piece. It's just one part of something that you can build out from that. And in turn, that gives you new, new knowledge, but it also is about an, a change. What are you going to do with that knowledge, your attitude and your behaviour and that difference that that's going to make? Um, so one of the things we, we did at the forum produced for the first time earlier this year was our sort of learning pyramid, which is around how you've got things you have to learn. There's man, mandatory learning. So if you think of it as a, as, as a child, you learn to breathe. I have no idea that's what happened. That's why when you watch a baby, your first child, and sometimes they go for a bit of period of not breathing. You go, don't panic. It's okay. They're learning to breathe. So I remember the first time seeing Martha, they go, oh, she's not breathing. She's not breathing. No, she's all right. She's okay. She'll breathe again. Because you, you sort of learn that action of how, how, how to do that. But then you learn everything from learning how to eat, from, from say, solids and all those things. So school is the obvious time where you go, well, that's mandatory learning. We have to do that. We've got to you know, get certain things before we can progress. Too often, though, when you go to work, you only ever see learning as mandatory. Oh, I've been put on a, that bloody training course again. You know what I mean? Which can too often happen. Or, oh, I've got to be, I have to learn this because it's a new process. And again, we should be aware that, yeah, there's things that's positive that we need to learn because as a business, every business changes. Every business has a new strategy, a new direction, new key performance indicators, new customers, new people sat around you, new systems. So therefore you've got to learn. So the awareness that being able to function in that changing environment means you have adapted. If you've not adapted, fair enough, you've not learned, but most people will adapt. And I don't think people are aware of that. And then there's a responsibility of people to, to go and seek 
new learning. So for me, back in back in the day, I, I was aware I needed to learn about airlines because I knew about the countries of the world. I knew about the cities because I know all my European football teams. So that came in really, really handy. You know, I know where everything is. And actually, once you start learning your airlines, there's only so many airlines. You know then where they fly to, which would be the quickest routes. So you, you have to do that. But I did that off my own back because you, that, for me, felt like the logical way, way of learning. And again, what you want to do is let people know, almost set an expectation to people is to say, see what you can do with your job. See how you can improve it. And again, that's what we see at the best examples of organisations, whereby people feel empowered to say, can we try this in improving this, in this process improvement? You know, and again, team leaders sort of being able to sign pull that out of their people by giving them the opportunity to say, what's the best thing about what you've done? What's the worst thing you've done? And again, being allowed to say, look, I've made a really big mistake there because I did this, this and this and not going, well, don't do that again. Okay, well, which bits could you not do again? And how did you get there? Really understanding those things. And that in turn helps people learn because you know, our conversation last uh, the other day was around how often we hear from organisations who do surveys and out the staff survey, the staff engagement has come in low because people have said they've not had any learning in the last 12 months. And, it's, and it happens too often. And it's one of these things you think, how has that happened? You know, it's not because there hasn't been any learning there. There's been lots of opportunities, but people have closed their eyes. They've not realised mandatory learning is learning. And because they've not been given anything else and they've not gone and done it themselves, they've then said, I've not learned. And the solution isn't to go, well, there's some learning for you. Because again, that's one of the challenges we have. We have people with contacts that say we need to put off people through learning. And they pay sometimes a lot of money to put people through learning programs and they don't do it. They don't turn up. I mean, there's only so much you can do, isn't there? Even, yeah. even when we used to get people in a workshop, they'd come there for two days and then we'd always get them to complete an action plan at the end. Say, well, what are you going to do next? We'd highlight if you go back to the office tomorrow and clear your emails and then not talk about it. By day three, day four, you're going to have forgotten you've been on a training course yet. Yeah? And that's what they, they do too often. Again, we've seen people over the years and done the same training course and they've gone, oh, that was brilliant. They go, well, you saw this too. You did do it. <laughs> okay, so it, that, that, it, it can very easily happen. And I think that's what's really important. That I think. To my mind, I won't be saying it's a very general statement to make, but I think a lot of people don't know what learning is. I don't think we've had that. I don't think it's one of those conversations. It's as if we go through school, you go to college, you go to university or whatever, and then you just go into the world of work. People, they always stop your learning at that point. You know, and, and I think it's really important that we go, actually, everything we do every day is learning just to be, to adapt and to thrive. And actually, it's not nice to say this, but everyone's got a responsibility to do that. You know, yeah. and I think when people hear that for the first time, they go, yeah, do you know what? I could just give 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, that's you know, 65 hours a week or whatever it is, a year sort of thing. That that would soon add up to a lot of learning. And that's the reason why I, 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 I can be better. I remember um, when I first started, I was first as a contact centre manager. I said to my team leaders, um, we're going to have, a, I'm going to put in for you guys 15 minutes um, self-development time in the day and I and then our next sort of the, the next day's huddle to embed this I just want to hear what you've what you've done and it was it was tough it was tough because people like I just didn't have time yeah. I said well I'm only talking about 15 minutes the other challenge was I, did, I just didn't know what to do <laughs> or there's nothing that I didn't know where to go. And, and at the time we had the company I was working at, we had a library that um, sat online and it had 
loads of courses, absolutely loads. If it had been a physical library, it would have been very dusty because yeah. it just kind of it just kind of sat there and most people didn't know about it. And even when they did, they didn't kind of access it. And but I can remember one team leader just really bought into this and she dedicated 15 the, the 15 minutes and just started doing a course. Now you couldn't even get you, you know, you're scratching the surface of a course on one 15 minute stint. But guess what? In in a couple of weeks' time, and I knew this was like the moment when, for whatever reason, for some of them it was competitiveness, for others it was, oh, she's actually she, when she'd started applying, she was like, Yeah, I've nearly finished the second course. And you're like, Well, are you doing more than 15 minutes a day? No, but I've just been doing my 15 minutes a day. And before you know it, I'm here I am. I've done one course on having difficult conversations. I'm now doing one on presenting skills. And you can see then everyone else going, right, well, I'm I'm gonna get in on this. But it was it was that, you know, just making it important, making it part of her day. And then realizing, oh, I like this. I'm developing something new. And then critically, I'm going to try it out or I feel a little bit more prepared if I do have to have a difficult conversation in this, in this example. But there was something else you said as well, is we have to create the environment as leaders where it's okay. Well, A, that that's prioritized, but B, it's okay for people to fail. You mentioned kind of you doing your speaking and, knowing that they, the first one might not have been perfect, but you were okay with that because you were going to learn from it. And it's that that's such an important concept of learning, isn't it? Definitely. I think it's still a problem that it's all about cover-up, isn't it? You look at the government, unfortunately, at this moment in time, and over the years, they'll never go, or very rarely will they go, we've made a mistake. Even the most recent worst ever budget that's ever been done was apparently a distraction, not a mistake. You know, it's those things that go, and it almost it almost limits learning, doesn't it? Because it's not saying we've made a mistake, so we're going to do this, this is what we're going to do differently. You know, many organisations are still about cover-up because... If there's a problem, it becomes finger pointing. Well, whose fault was that? And, and I think, again, coming back to my, my time in the operation of learning, this resource planning gets the finger pointed at them because forecasts are always wrong. That's what they are. They're either lucky or, or wrong. You know, you've always got your people in the wrong place at the wrong time because despite your best intentions, someone's going to do something that no one planned for. And that invariably come, comes back to you. And, it, and it's very quick to realize that that's actually not my fault. It's not the team's fault. We've done the best that we can. This is what's happened. That's what we need to stop happening tomorrow. And I think that helps to do that sort of more black box thinking to, to quote the Matthew Saeed book on that which I think is a, is a tremendous book but that idea of if there is failure work out how there is failure because if not the other side of that is when you have a good day too often people go around giving high fives going we've had a great day and then you go well what did we do differently and no one really knows <laughs> yeah. we've just had a good day it's almost like the stars have aligned on a certain day and everything's worked out well so we go that's brilliant now let's go on to the next day and then you have a bad day well what happens well if we learn from the good day and then we learn from the bad day we can start to sort of shape what happens on, on future days and okay just keep that openness there but yeah environment is, is a huge huge part of this you say that example of those your team leaders you know that that team leader becomes a role model for their learning their team is naturally going to think that looks really good that's great what they're doing 
And again, most of the team will probably go, I can do that. And it's possible for me. And it's only 15 minutes, only 10 minutes a day. Whereas the, the team leader or manager who hasn't got time without realising that sort of what they believe is a strong work ethic of I'm working hard, we always get stuff done. And yeah, we don't have time for learning. We've got to keep going. Well, that's now their environment and mindset. And that's okay for a short period of time because we are busy. But over six months, over a quarter, even over 12 months, so if you've not had time for learning, that really means they, they are not adapting well to the circumstances and changing environment. And again, over a longer period of time, that means that they're probably going to get stuck, you know, and really be out of date. And um, I said a few times I've spoken about the boiling frog syndromes. I'm not sure if anyone's mentioned that on one of your previous ones about the, 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 the study. I'm not sure how true it is, if it's a myth or not. But the idea is being that if you, if you have a pan of boiling water and put a frog inside it, it will jump straight out because the frog knows that that is too hot to survive in. Just get straight out. Whereas if you put a frog into some sort of tepid water, I believe, and then start to boil it gently, the frog will stay there because it just feels warm, it feels comfortable, it's nice and cosy, and then it goes, I'm actually being boiled from the inside, it can't now jump out. And, and thinking of that about, say, some of the big organisations like Woolworths or Blockbuster, for instance, that for years they were doing quite well, but not really seeing what was going on in the environment behind them. And even the year before Blockbuster famously sort of went, on, went, it had quite a good year. There's some shops in particular who were still doing really, really well. Yet as a business, they just weren't adapted and then they didn't have time to react. So though it's still a strong brand name now and I can use it, people go, oh, yeah, it's the video shop. You know, it doesn't exist because it, they left it too late before they could before they could react from that. And there's a real danger as people, as professionals or anyone in your career that we're going to be those people. We're those people in your in your business who've been there with the 35 years service who are going, I'm waiting for retirement now. And you go, that's in 10 years time. That's a long time to sit still holding everyone else back because you just want retirement now. You know, whereas if you were to thrive, you could be the you could be a role model. You could help mentor new people because of your corporate knowledge. You could really change that dynamic to make it really inspiring role for those last few years. Not that sort of elephant's graveyard of people you just essentially can't wait to to, to get to get rid of. But that that happens in some sort of larger organisations. But I think again, those sorts of you know metaphors or anecdotes around if we don't change, this is what's going to happen are really important. I mean, I I, knew, I only learned that one about ten years ago when. I read a book from Rasmus Ankerson around the gold mine effect. And that was around where does talent come from? And, and, it, and it's not from sort of uh, um, expensive buildings and lots of investments. It's often around people getting that sort of grit and desire and purpose and, and realising how we get better and how we can move on from that is where true talent can come from. Do you think then people listening to this that are in um, senior leadership positions, it might be of a certain age, <laughs> um and i've seen because i i've seen this where that kind of you, you very eloquently said about the concept of i'm kind of i'm i'm waiting i've i've hit my level is that something else then that stops learning is if you've got senior leaders in place who have been successful and have can you say that they've kind of stopped learning i think so yeah i think there can be an over-reliance on experience now, I've, again, it's not nice to say these good things have come out of COVID, 
you'd hope though that that sort of experience is now limited because of what happened with covid so you'd like to think senior leaders have a hang on a minute we can't just rely upon our experience anymore we have to be thinking about other things but i do agree i think that is a problem it's a problem of a lot of managers i think people get to a level that they become happy with now that doesn't always mean they become stale but it, it can become a, a contributor toward, towards that um, anyone who's been in the same role for a long period of time who who isn't still learning now again that doesn't need to be learning within that role what, one of our members again has got some great tenured staff and what they recognized was that there's no point in them keep learning business things because that doesn't motivate them but actually if they learn another skill actually outside of work um, that actually really helps them with their engagement again so yeah. again I think just the fact you are learning and and you can see that you're learning you can see there's an improvement I think is really important but I think yeah there is a real danger that um, you know people get towards the maybe 50s I don't know a little bit older than that and start to go into that wind down looking to drop a day you know and and, and almost thinking, oh, as I'm getting older, I can't be as active. And again, all the science is telling us now there's very, very little difference between, you know, you, you, I mean, obviously elite athlete, athletes at the age of 28 you know, to 32, that sort of peak age, and someone at 60, there's a decent, you know, there's a, quite a difference. But actually, as a, as a yoga, per, you know, if you're into yoga, into body balance, even into sort of the gym and stuff like that, the difference is minimal. And if anything, if your purposeful practice has got you to a point, you could actually be in the best shape of your life in your 60s. 60s or, or, or 70s which again must put you in a I, I can't understand why you wouldn't want to be like that because yeah. you, you know you want to be keep learning you want to keep being better even at a, a, a golden age how often do you come across um the refrain that the the company or who i work for don't give me enough training learning so, yeah, I suppose we, we see that. We've not seen it as much recently, but what we do often see is when times get hard and budget cuts happen, these are the things that often get, get removed. I think there is a better understanding now of the value of learning and, and uh, employee engagement and well-being. And again, a key part of well-being is learning something, being connected, you know, and, and being sort of healthy, both mentally and physically. Being healthy mentally means you are growing as, as, a, as a person. So I'm hopeful that that's going to stay. Yet, unfortunately, the next 12 months, I think, is going to be a bit of a tricky time. So therefore, some cuts could, could go in. I think there are some organisations who have a genuine learning culture. That sort of like learning culture, everyone has got an opportunity to do something. And again, there's so much free learning out there. I think that's yeah. the thing that we often forget. It's about how to tap into that. You say the, the internal library that's just covered in dust to the internal library that actually people are actually now bringing stuff into it. You know, it's like a bit like how almost creating your own Wikipedia. People learn something. Well, let's leave that in the knowledge management here because someone else will find it interesting. I think there is still a little bit of in maybe some corporate environments where learning is quite mandated, going back to that sort of learning pyramid and and actually yeah we are going to cut costs we need to improve efficiencies so yes you can't have that 15 minutes every day of learning now because and that'd be a real shame if that if that does come in i mean they say fortunately a lot of our members naturally if their members want to learn so that means they're usually in a good place but there's there's many organizations who aren't members when we speak to them either either look at learning as a cost which is i think always a negative as opposed to being something that's about value add or something they haven't got time for which again is a real shame because if someone isn't a member of an organize of a, an industry body or isn't doing any other external learning 
you know, in two, three, four years time, that's going to really limit their their capabilities, um, which would be which would be such a shame for them. And then it's a it's a huge step change they're then requiring. So it's then then needs a huge amount of money to help them to become better, or it needs the lots of recruitment or or things like that. So I, I think I think it, it can be a problem. I'm, I'm, I'd like to think it's not as big a problem as it was. So how other than let's say, you know, people people and organizations can engage with you guys at the forum what what do you say to people about um how do you individually and from an organizational point of view build a learning habit and a word that you said to me the other day that i really liked which was um that like a, a rhythm of, of learning how do you how do you start people on on getting that yeah, so I mean, there's, there's a few things. If I give a couple of examples, one, one is where we do a bit of team learning over the course of a year. So we give people access to on-demand modules so you can watch them anytime, any place on, on, a, on, a, on any device, you know, app um, or, or on, the, on, on your PC. And then we do a monthly catch-ups with them. And, and the aim of that is to, to sort of, it's definitely not shaming, but you're recognizing people who haven't done anything. So when you get to that week, that monthly tutorial right? going, what have you learned? And you always say, please don't say I've not had time to watch anything. Just say, <laughs> you know, just anything. After three months, you've usually got even the stragglers on there because the ones who are, again, watching stuff and engaging and getting even more out of it. So I think that helps to sort of do that rhythm. And if you do that for 12 months, you definitely build the habit, build the learning. You get a group of togetherness, that sort of team learning way. In terms of some of the individual things we do, we do a six-month um, uh, pathway. And again, that works around this idea of monthly tutorials. So you've got your on-demand material, so there's no excuse that you can't, can't watch that. And again, we, do, we make sure it's not overfacing by giving people too much. So the more you come and speak to us, the more we can tailor your journey by saying we recommend watching that next, reading that next, speaking to them next, et cetera. So, again, you're removing that sort of indecision because, you know, there is no doubt that sometimes when there's so many things out there, it can be very hard to know what to do next. And again, a lot of our audience are quite introverted people. We're quite sort of specialists, especially some of our data analysts sort of thing by their very nature and very detailed. So if you if you don't give them exact what's next and what's the next step, that they're almost going, well, there's too much information here. I can't get to the detail. So we're aware of that from a learning style. So we, we can be quite open, keep it casual, make it down to you. But then giving people, if you're really uncertain, we recommend you, you doing these following things. And that helps. And we've got one or two member examples whereby they, they do now give that allocated time to learn. So one member gives two hours every week, which I always find that's a lot, a lot of time. But then you see what they're doing. You're going, wow, they, they are growing as a team. So this is a resource planning team that is now sort of really the, the sort of guardians of data, of people, of technology, you know, really working into other areas, almost outsourcing their planning to other areas of the business so they can plan for the marketing team, plan for the HR team, because they've got that capability. And because people see the return of that, it makes it easier to do that. But giving people that time every single week just puts that responsibility onto people to say, look, there's, you've got the time now. So that's usually the biggest hurdle that got time. So there's your time, that's protected. What have you now done in that time? And then and then also helping people to realize that 
what learning is, knowledge, attitude, behaviours again. Here's the opportunity now to share those things because there is a monthly tutorial, there's a monthly uh, team sharing session as well. And then the quarterly sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, health checks, it's asking people specifically about the learning. It's not leaving it to 12 months down the line and saying, people, what have you done? finding out they've not done anything and then being too late. There's so many checkpoints along the way. So those are key. The, the, the final thing I'd, I'd say on this is, and one of the things we cover off a lot when we speak to people in workshops, when we speak to people in our sort of learning pathways, is around how you, we've now given people, hopefully, the rhythm, that habit of doing these things. Now here's a few other examples. So for me, I, I still give myself 15 minutes every morning. So I found out that mornings are my best time to do a bit of a review of yesterday, Think about what I need to do for the rest of the day and the rest of the week. And, and that sort of 15 minutes can sometimes grow into 30. It can sometimes end up being five minutes. It can sometimes be an hour. It might end up even being I've missed it for two days. But because on the whole, most of the time, I mm. give myself that bit of time. It means that I can plan my week. I can plan what I'm going to spend my time on, making sure that's all the time that matters most. It makes sure that I'm doing things that is around developments, not just BAU phone call after phone call after phone call. And, and, it, and it's also making sure that I've got a view on actually where do I need to be in three months, six months? Are we already thinking about those things? Because there's things I could be doing now that could be working towards that. And again, having that view of the future and then pulling it back to now can just give you that clarity of actually, if I don't need to do this, it might be important today, but actually yeah. doing this thing is going to give me a better a better advantage for sort of six, six months time. So I think giving people the, the confidence of, protecting that time giving people the 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 knowledge that learning is so easy you know re, even reading uh, you know a website you know, register for harvard business review and you get tip of the day and that they're doing it for you they're giving you a tip you know it's up to you if you want to read that or not and letting people just to build that rhythm of going on linkedin and reading an article if you read a book then share it with someone all of a sudden turns you from being someone who wasn't aware of doing it to someone who's now a role model of learning who's actually inspired someone else and that person is now inspiring you because they're the one recommending you articles and books to read so it becomes quite a sort of a well a, a nice cycle really but a very easy one not to do at all and this this sort of taps into this concept you mentioned earlier on about um and i i will often say people will say who are you who are you competing with who do you see as your competitors um and it's it sounds glib but it's true. The only person I'm competing with is myself, you know, and that kind of, you mentioned earlier about just getting on the pathway of progression and wanting to be better than you were yesterday, a week ago, uh, a month ago. What, what kind of tips can you give people then to, to kind of, they want to be better. And it's a very, that's a very generalized kind of um, statement. You know, I want to be a better juggler, you know. <laughs> I think it is a good question. I think what I'd say first of all on this one is that don't worry if you don't know, because I think a lot of people get stuck there. I don't know what I want to be better at. I haven't got a five-year plan. There's so many examples of people yeah. out there who've been either had this sort of laser eye dream sort of thing. I want to fly sort of thing. And that guy who jumped out of space, you know, or, or I, want, I want to do this in five years time and the following that. If you haven't got that, don't worry about that. That's, that's my starting point on this. It doesn't matter. There's many successful people who just keep doing something a little bit different each day. And do you know what? They find that out. What I would say is, Start to start to just read, 
I think, and speak to people. They would be my two two things. If you don't know what to read, start speaking to people. When you speak to people, they'll recommend a book. Read that, and then you get that cycle sort sort of going. Don't mind failing. As I said before, read a book. If it wasn't for you, you now know that isn't for you. That is tremendous learning. You know that is not the path to go down. As I joked before, going into certain salaries, not quite my thing. But I know that. So therefore, I'm not going to put my time into sort of doing acrobats. I'm going to put my time into the things that I, I want to do. Um, the other one, I suppose, technique, which can be a bit stark, is just to think about what it is you want to do in sort of 50 years time. You know, you're talking to your great grandchildren. What do you want to be like? What story do you want to do you want to tell them? The story that, well, I worked hard for years and then took retirement and then I've been sitting in this chair now and I thought this had seen me through, but it's not quite working. Is that the story? And at the same time, you don't have to be the person that goes to Disneyland after every year and run an ultra marathon, but you, you want to have something that's interesting. And, and actually, a lot of things can be learned quite quickly. You can learn the guitar probably to a very good standard in about five years. I think five years, that's a long time. But actually, in five years, time we'll go i wish i'd started playing the guitar because i would have been quite good by now and it's, it's just thinking of those things think back to your childhood about the toys that you had or, or whatever that you went you know, i used to love that and I, even though you know i, I joke aside with my daughter at the moment, when i was young i used to love wrestling wcw wrestling was, it was absolutely brilliant i remember thinking i could never be a wrestler but i could have been a wrestling manager and there is actually an hour wrestling club in Preston. You think, like, why don't I do that sort of thing? That could be hilarious just to do for a while. And so <laughs> saying those little stories to it, it makes her think, actually, you can do whatever you want sort of thing. It's yeah. just up to you to just sort of reimagine these things. And I started collecting Star Wars figures again because I loved it when I was younger. And then my mom started throwing it out. And that's when it made me realise, I, I love them figures. So we've still got yeah. the Ewok village at home. And you sort of think, that's how we can collect some of those things. And just go back to what, what gave you a bit of passion in the past. And that might give you that little bit of interest, which goes, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. So say, so for me, one of the things I've always wanted to do is like a personal trainer. So again, in, in, in 10, 15 years time, I definitely want to start being a yoga instructor. That's one of the things I want to help. But in particular, to help people, men in particular, who refuse to stretch, refuse to do anything, because we know what we can be like at times. And to really help people, give them a great, a great sort of last few years of their life, because too often people stop doing things because they can't get up out of chairs. And I just think actually a few simple exercises each day can give people greater mobility, greater feeling, greater factor of life. So I think those things are, are all inside you. Just think back to what your core interests are and don't don't limit yourself. You know, don't don't think, well, I can't do that anymore because you, you can. And what's the worst yeah. that could happen if you gave it a go and he didn't? Mm. You know what? You might have enjoyed yourself for a few hours. So that'd be my sort of advice on that. I love it. I feel really motivated, actually. That's great. I definitely want to talk to you about yoga as well. I, um, I'm still playing football twice a week um, with people way like half my age. And I've, if you, when you meet me, you see, I'm, I'm like a little chunky gorilla. I've never, you can never say I'm, I'm flexible, but um, that kind of the concept of stretching and just doing something completely different and being okay, that you will be terrible at it that's the kind of thing I look back on last year I did dancing you know with in a with a group of guys and we we committed to training and we were awful but by the end we were all very proud of our yeah. um, performance and our all our girls were very very proud of us but that only that only started because we committed to doing something and we we stuck at it, and you know the 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 training sessions where our instructor was just 
tearing her hair out with just how uncoordinated and <laughs> things we were. But now I look back on that with a real with a real sense of pride. And it, it does start like you've definitely that little um, end bit there motivated me to to go, to go again to do something to do something different to start start now is the message isn't it start absolutely yeah why not what's the worst that could happen i think is a nice video and don't don't think yeah that's a great idea i'll do that tomorrow no do, do, it, do it today whatever you know just 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 give it a go and and you say often it is five five minutes is five more minutes than nothing so 15 mm -hmm. minutes actually is quite a good time 30 minutes great yoga session you can have a great workout in half in half an hour you can watch something purposeful on tv you can watch a, a ted talk in that time it's not much time but you've just got to protect it and again mm -hmm. think if you were to just map out your day and again it might not come as a surprise i did actually do for a long time plan my day by half an hour okay which sounds a bit excessive but bearing in mind eight of it you're fast asleep you've not got many hours left and then you're at work for most of it you realize how you've got to make the most of your mornings and your evenings and if you do that, that gives you the time. So I'm up at six each morning. So I can do a bit of reading. I can do a, a, some sort of class or, or a run or some sort of form of exercise. Take the dog for a walk. Then I can spend time with my daughter before she goes to school, walk her to school every day. And it makes those things, you realize how important those things are. And at the same time, then I'm always then ready for work because I've prepared myself mentally and physically before I do those things. Make the most of the time at the end of the day. You, know, you don't just sit there watching TV, waiting for the next program to happen. You go, no, I'm going to not put the TV on because I'll yeah. watch TV late. It's little things like that. And we, we can all probably relate to those sort of bad habits we've got of, I'll oh, just have a little sit down. There's nothing wrong with having just to sit down, but when having just to sit down becomes pretty much all of the hours you've got left outside of your, your working day or sleeping, you're probably not making the most of your time. Mm. Bill, this has been brilliant. I've, I've absolutely loved it. I'm I'm super motivated now. Good. <laughs> I hope everyone else that uh, is listening is uh, as well, and I'm sure we're going to do um, we're going to do a couple more of these. And look, it's been absolutely brilliant, Phil Anderson of the Forum. Thank you very, very much. Lovely. Thanks very much, Martin.